gas. I got to thinking, hey, do you, it, what's your pay period? Is it going to be two weeks or whatever? And she's like, yeah, I think I'm going to get paid every two weeks. I was like, okay, well, you're going to need gas for next week too. So we ended up going in after filling the tank and getting a gas card for her while she was there. Well, our sister, Miss Middleton, um, well, in the middle of BP, that BP station that uh, just right there, she started thanking God, praising our Lord. And I was fumbling around at the ATM to get some gas, some, um, some money, just so she could have money for lunches uh, this week. My card wasn't working. And at one point, she's there talking, and I don't know if you, uh, she said something like, um, I've been at the bottom, but I'm heading out. And then that's when the BP attendant was there, and you know, the one with the beautiful German accent, and she interrupted the, 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 the praise and said, sister, you are a child of the king. You are not at the bottom. You have been in his hands. You are his. And then the hallelujahs and the amens are start coming out and the BP, and I turned around from my ATM debacle because it wasn't working and feeling a little uncomfortable. I am a Presbyterian, but a bit teary and incredibly thankful. And then we praise the Lord in the aisles of the BP. Praise the Lord. Oh, this phrase been ruined by that ministry from an hour and a half down the road that has been a horrific witness to Jesus. And saying the words praise the Lord can be difficult work because, it, because sometimes we either conjure bleach white hair with way too much makeup or we, 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 we think of, of cheesy experiences. So I want you to stop. I want you to erase the ruined definitions and connotations that you have in your mind. What you've learned, either in experience or what have you, about this phrase to clear the hard drive so that we can really enter into this important psalm, praise the Lord. That language is actually language that's translated from hallelujah. Hallelujah grounds us into the reality of our lives. And it's not equivalent to Everything is awesome, or don't worry, be happy. Psalm 17 begins and ends with hallelujah, and it hooks us in, like the, the hip-hop term, like the refrain, a hook. And friends, hallelujah is the hook of real people in real life, and you know what a hook is. It's any kind of refrain that goes back and, uh, and forth, like, my, how I love you, Lord, we just heard. Or, my name is, my name is, my name is. Slim Shady, or Sweet Caroline, Rolling Stones, I can't get no, na 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 na, or na 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 na. In fact, now I'm challenged to actually create a playlist full of na 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 as the hook of all these things. But if Hallelujah is the hook, who is the choir? Praise the Lord, all nations, extol Him, peoples. The answer is all. All people all the time. This is an amazing worldwide call to sing every tongue, every tribe, every nation, every people group, every ethnicity, every society, every culture, every community. It's a call to worship, and in fact, it's a command. An edict from the Lord Most High. This is why we use these many languages to read this passage to show how this is a, his global church has responded with hallelujahs in their own tongue. 
but I, I need you to hear me, and I don't want to be harsh here, but the Hallelujah Choir is not a suggestion. It's not an invitation, per se. It doesn't have an RSVP option for us. No one, no one who's lives, who lives, who's ever lived, or whoever will live, is out of earshot from this command from God. It is a worldwide mandate among an epidemic of woeful worship in the land. And, and it's important that this song has been sung in all times. Amid exile and exuberation, amid chaos and celebration, it's a song for all peoples in all days, especially maybe in days of woe and grief and confusion and uncertainty and suffering. Hallelujah never ignores the grunge of life. It never does. It is wide-eyed about giving praise to God, real praise in a real world. It doesn't do pretend. Before Uganda was Uganda, it was Buganda. 30, in, in, in 1880s, 1886, 32 young men, pages of the court of King Mwanga, were martyred. He was frustrated with them because as they became Christians, they, they gave their loyalty, supreme loyalty to Christ and not him. At first, he forbade anyone to have any interaction with the missionaries that were there on pain of death, but that didn't work. So, on June 3rd, the martyrs of Uganda walked to the flames and pyres, and they did so with praise upon their lips and prayers for those who would destroy them. Hallelujah, choir amid martyrdom. And martyrdom is another word, martyrosis, witness. A witness to the glory of God even in death. And they sang praise to the Lord as they waited and watched and died. And since then, the missionary work in Uganda or Buganda at the time has almost been exclusively, not exclusively, but mainly Ugandan missionaries who saw witness of Yahweh. But I want you to lean into this more. It's not just in the joyful celebrations when God provides at a BP. It's not just the points of martyrdom. But it's in the day-in, day-out grunge and monotony of life, of our days, that it's required, that it is for us. And so you're gonna sound, this is going to sound silly, but when you brush your teeth and put deodorant on, is there a hallelujah hook in your heart? What about traffic? That's a trying time to have a hallelujah when you're wiping a baby's bottom, right? Or during bath time, or in a class that you don't like very much, or don't respect the students around you, or even the teacher. Can there be a hallelujah hook in your heart? Will you sing your part in the choir and the humdrum of our days? So why, why would this be? Like seriously, why would God, the creator and sustainer of the universe, the one who made all things and is complete and right and good in his triune state, who needs nothing of us, why would he call us to this lyric of hallelujah? Is, is he on an ego trip? Is it an insecure wimp of a God who just needs accolades to feel better about himself? That's not it. 
It's that the choir is better off with the lyric of hallelujah, not just because it's true and good, but it's true and good for them. And so he has this one lyric, God Yahweh to be praised. See, God knows he made us to function best, to live most fully when we value the most valuable things. And that's God himself. We don't make sense without honoring the most honorable thing in the world, in the universe. We don't do well without a true north. We were made for this, for him to, to glorify God, to worship him, to praise Yahweh, and be, enjoy, with, enjoy him forever. It's just not the hook of a song, it's the hook of our lives. It is the lyric of our lives. And you, you don't need to forget this, or don't forget this, that this, this Yah in Hallelujah is Yahweh. This is, uh, the Lord is not an abstraction, but a name. The God who didn't just create, but is recreating. The God who took an, an, an infertile nomadic couple and blessed them with a child and made the, them apparent, the parents of many nations. He grabbed a ragtag people who were enslaved for 400 years and chose to show off his power and his grace through them. He liberated them from one of the most powerful empires that ever existed, who was exploiting them for labor and the glory of their own leader. He showed off with them. He set them apart in a land that would be the major economic intersection so that the promise that they would not just be blessed but be a blessing to other people, that that would crisscross all across the known world. All the way to Kim's Uganda, to Maria's Italy, to Rosanna's Mexico, straight up here to Camel City, Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And then by his great compassion, this God, Yahweh, sends his son and then his spirit to both accomplish and apply our salvation, all the failures and rebellions, all the ways that we had refused to sing. Hallelujah. There's a re reason our little tagline starts with him because there's nowhere else to go. There's nothing else. It always starts with him. And this is hard, harder than it looks or seems. Our hearts, our striving, our self-importance, our, our desire is to too often throw off the shackles of allegiance and honor to God, the God of the Bible. We want too often to live without, to be, to be our own men, to be self-made women. And it is injurious to us. And it's not just a latent rebellion, guys. It's, it's hard because it's actually active in us. We just don't want to be so needy. But we are. And it's in our own hearts and it's in our communities. I tried to make another playlist for you today because I was enjoying doing that. And I came across this incredible hymn that I'd heard before in, in different circumstances, but how can I keep from singing? And then Audrey Assad has covered it and it's amazing, you should totally go for it. And then I went around and said, hey, is there like an international version of this? Because um, uh, these lines are so good. It's like, uh, what is it? What, Though the darkness gather round while to that refuge clinging, since Christ is Lord of heaven and earth, how can I keep from singing? The peace of Christ makes fresh my heart, a fountain ever springing. 
All things are mine since I am his. How can I keep from singing? So I was looking around and I found one of those stay-at-home choir type things and it was incredible music. The recording was so beautiful. They had at least 100 voices. They had all the instrumentation. It was really amazing and I was listening and so enjoying it. And then I realized they weren't using Lowry's, real, Lowry's, Lowry's lyrics. That's not easy to say. I, re- I realized that there was actually no reference to God or Jesus or anything in it. The Trinity was literally extracted from the song. Come to find out that Pete Seeger covered it at some point, and they were using that rendition. And I was struck with the glory of the singing, the beauty of the choir, but it felt hollowed out. <laughs> Not because every beautiful song needs to mention Yahweh, but because it was extracted as if that made the song better. Look, trying to have a beautiful piece of music that can be shared by a diverse group of people, Christians and non, that's a worthy endeavor. But to excise, to extract, to eliminate God, to Yah from Hallelujah, empties the hymn, the psalm, the hook, and the lyric. But before we get on those people messing up our hymn by extracting Jesus, remember this happens in all of us, even those who've been singing hallelujah for a long time. We tend to not just expunge um, God from our lives. Friends, the sneakier way that this happens is not, and the scheme of the evil one is not necessarily to remove, but to replace This is not irrelevant idle talk. This is what John Calvin, the reformer, called idolatry. And he calls us, our hearts, idol factories. That we churn them out. Not vacating praise the Lord, but substituting praise the... And so in some sense, how can we keep from singing ended up being praise the beauty of singing. And we should honor the beauty of singing but not replace it. Instead of hallelujah Yahweh, it can be hallelujah self, hallelujah pleasure, hallelujah success, hallelujah good things, hallelujah the good old days, hallelujah any political, philosophical way of being. It's just all hallelujah idols. And this is hard stuff. And as a community, it can be very difficult. I think about after the two... um, the, uh, the, the, the two uh, conventions, there was a lot of hallelujah everythings and nothings, hallelujah idea, ide- ideologies. You heard it this week at the convention, and I, you must hear from me, I love our country. I mean that, and I love the ideals by which it was founded. But you heard it this week in the convention when a, co- a prominent co- politician quoted the Bible, and he said, let us fix our eyes upon old glory substituting old glory from Jesus from the book of Hebrews. Now, I know it was a rhetorical move. I get it. And, 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 and yet many of you won't understand this, but I really do get this because I was teethed on this language and in, in, in this honoring. Remember, my father's a special ops colonel in the army or was, and I've been to dozens of ceremonies and come to find out that this politician is also an army brat and his son's in the military. So he's been to dozens of ceremonies too. But in those ceremonies, sometimes is read, my name is Old Glory. I stand guard with the greatest military power in the world. 
Look up and see me. I stand for peace and honor, truth and justice. I stand for freedom. I am confident. I am arrogant. I am proud. I bow to no one. I'm recognized all over the world. I am worshiped, loved, and feared. That's just part of the upbringing I came with. I am sure. And this politician claims Christ as as his own, and I believe him. But he's just doing what had done, just what many of us do. We always do this kind of stuff where we replace the glory of who God is with some other substitute that doesn't work it. You want, you want to hear the, the hardest one of all for me? Is ministry. Hallelujah, ministry is my idol. You may praise, instead of praise Jesus, praise work. I do. And it's worse when you work in ministry because ministry is such a deceptive idol. If I'm feeling bad about myself, feeling like a not great dad or a not great husband or not great human, I just go there and get a ministry hit. Feel alive, feel important, feel even internally important. But ultimately, it's hollow because hallelujah ministry is not substitute for hallelujah Jesus. Nothing is. And yet we are idle factories. For some ministry, for some ministry is an idol. Actually, I'd say for everybody, Ministry is an idol, at least sometimes. And so is justice, or social justice, or law and order, or equity and equality, or liberty, or family, or individualism, or freedom of speech, or mercy, or cancel culture, or all the isms and the is of personal responsibility, of community identity, autonomy, pleasure-seeking money, power. Even good things replace Yah, Yahweh, you name it, and we can churn up an idol. Which is why it's so important. Because when we, we, we don't get the lyric right, we don't get the music right, and we're left with seeking pleasure and joy and hope and the world without the only source of true pleasure, true joy, and true hope in the world. That's why we need the music. And the music is love. For great is his steadfast love toward us. And the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. There is a word in here, translated steadfast love, that every Bible reader must know. And many of you probably do. It is the word chesed. And it's translated loving kindness, mercy, love, and a host of other sentiments like that, enduring love. Theologians call it covenantal love because it's a promise, a pledge that God would bring a people to himself to redeem a slave, to free the prisoner, to bring good news to the poor, to remove sin from our stained souls, to placate his anger, to vindicate his name, and to bring forth a kingdom of love and peace and mercy and justice and grace to reign in this world. This is chesed. And it is not an idea. It is the actual actions of Yahweh in the world, his actions and affections towards us. This is not an idea of love. This is the actual work of God in the world, his steadfast love towards us, his faithfulness that endures forever. It is God acting 
to bring a people to himself, marking people by his name, just like Claire this morning. The, the reason why this is so problematic is because we're looking for this kind of love in all the wrong places, and the only place that this kind of love exists is in the love of the triune God, seen most evidently in our Lord Jesus. And when the great here is, is added to this has said, this phrase means great as in like powerful or prevailing. Even more than great love, it's winning love. It overcomes, prevails over us, and prevails in the end. And so that we're not overcome because of his great prevailing love. This is the covenant has said. The loving kindness does not end in that part of the story. In fact, it doesn't even find its fulfillment in our singing of it. But it actually ends or has its fulfillment in the one who sang it on the night before he died. You see, these are the Hallel Psalms. They were sung at the Passover and still are. And the one that ended all the Hallels in the Passover meal was this song. On the Last Supper, he declared a new covenant, sang these words, praise the Lord, all you nations, extol him, all you peoples, for great is his love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Our Lord Jesus sang those words. And then he walked to Gethsemane. And then he sweat blood because of the crazy stress impending before him. And then the soldiers arrested him. And soon after, he shed his blood for the life of the world. The very people that remove or replace Christ from worship he said, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Those who beat him instead of bowing before him. Those who freed a murderer and instead murdered one who would bring freedom. He spoke to them. He calls them to bend their knee and sing hallelujah. It's not just them who churn out the idols. It's us too who churn out the idols of convenience and comfort and control and pleasure and politics and power. This prevailing has said Jesus spoke of because he was about to accomplish something he could never do, no, we could never do for ourselves. He took on the words that we can honestly not sing until we see him unfolding God's plan. It seems a little ridiculous that he would sing a praise this psalm right before he knew it was about to happen. It doesn't seem like God's faithfulness at all, but in fact his betrayal. But Jesus had the understanding that, that since the creation of the world, what was about to happen was to prove God's faithfulness, his love has said more than anything else that had ever happened. It was beyond human explanation. It was a divine provision. And it is this precise thing that begins to motivate and shape our loves, even as we keep trying to churn out these idols that don't do it for us. Jesus was able to, to see that this is not the final chapter, that his faithfulness endures well beyond 
the reality of sin and death that in fact has said prevails. Even in our folly and our failure. Jesus doesn't just translate our worship and worship for us. He even atones it. He renews our hearts for it. He makes rebels into revelers. And he promises to keep at us with this. To keep training us in it. To keep showing us more and more of the worthiness that he should receive. Of his covenant love and eternal faithfulness. To show us who he is. As Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And to that, because of his great love, we can sing and we must sing. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Jesus, change our hearts, change our words, and let us have you and you alone. Nothing else. Nothing, no idealism. Nothing else but you and your reign and your love. And let that be our praise. Amen.